1: Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now.
2: Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Pascaline Lapeltier and Alice Firing, collaborator and author of the new book, *The Dirty Guide to Wine*. Following flavors from the ground up, we'll talk to Pascaline and Alice about what else dirt and why it's so important. We'll taste a perfect summer Muscadet for our weekly wine sip, and Pascaline snuck in a few bottles. Which is nice. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. <laughs> Pascaline Lapeltier is a master sommelier. She is the beverage director and partner at Rouge Tamat in New York City. If you look up Chenin Blanc in any dictionary, you'll see a picture of Pascaline. Alice Firing is a James Beard and Louie Roeder award-winning journalist, blogger, consultant, and author of, and I have to warn you, Alice is an expert at long-titled books, (laughs) author of The Battle for Wine and Love, or How I Saved the World from Parkerization, Naked Wine, Letting Grapes Do What Most Comes Naturally, and For the Love of Wine, My Journey Through the World's Most Ancient Wine Culture. Alice also publishes the Firing Line newsletter, focusing solely on natural, organic, and bi- biodynamic wines from the ground up. Pascaline and Alice's new book is The Dirty Guide to Wine, Following Flavors from the Ground Up. Welcome back to the show, Pascaline. And Alice, welcome to the Great Mission. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to have you guys here. Um, Alice, Pascaline has been on the show before, and she's told us a little about her background and all that. What I want you to do is to give our listeners a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you to this point, which right now is the dirty (laughs) guide to wine. So just give us a little background and context.
3: All right. So uh, I had a different career. I was a dance therapist, and I did that for 10 years. Makes sense. And I went back to... Yeah, it makes sense, right? Uh, But I went back to... and an early desire to write and so I moved back to New York City. I said hello New York City, Where I'm did a writer. You move from I, was, to... I was in Boston for okay. my masters and then to practice. Okay. And trying to figure out how to get back home. <laughs> and I finally did it and really gambled away my life to be a writer. And I didn't want to be a writer who was a waiter, I want or had another job or a temp and so I thought, I have a great idea. I'm going to do freelance writing even though everybody told me it was the stupidest idea in the world but i <laughs> did it anyway because i was hard-headed and one of the things that i knew something about was wine so i started writing about wine food and design and i was just like any other schlep wine writer going on so you on.
2: can't start from there and move forward what what happened got you that? interested in wine or you know what was the moment you shifted to wine
3: well i had an yeah, I started out in Lancers and Matus like a lot of people in my generation. Man-ty stuff. Yeah, or ma- even before that, I was drinking Manischewitz and Carmel Extra Sweet, mm. even before that. And by the time I got into college, I started doing some more explorations. I got to Boston, and I had a, a roommate who was a wine collector, and I do something crazy called Morris dancing, and a fellow Morris dancer had a wine collection. And so my apartment became the nexus for twice-a-week wine tastings, wow. and I never wanted to learn about wine, but after two years of trying to get to the bottles that I liked best before anybody else did, so I had more for myself, I realized I knew something. Do you
2: remember the type of stuff you were tasting? Was It, it was a step up from the Matusan and Lancers. Oh, no, it was good
3: stuff. I mean, we were exploring.
2: California, Ca- France, I mean, what were you?
3: We were mostly focused on some of the new stuff that was coming out okay. of California. It was the late 70s, early 80s, um, interesting northern time for wine. northern piedmont um, burgundy barolo uh, uh. Beaujolais, the Loire. Right.
0: We were, we were doing classics.
3: At that point, you could still get some old-fashioned Riojas because it was just what everybody made. Right. Everything was old-fashioned. Right. So I had a pretty good 10-year training of just tasting without having any idea that I was going to do anything about it.
2: So you come to New York. So I come
3: to New York, and, and I'm decide- writing, 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 and I have no desire to be a wine writer. I never wanted to be a wine writer. And then I was offered to do a book, the Food and Wine magazine, um, Food and Wine magazine wine guide in 2001 and that's when I realized that my favorite wines were disappearing and I really thought that the world was in danger of losing the great treasures and none of my colleagues would do anything about it. I went into a little bit of, um, actually a lot I went into overdrive, started spending a lot of time in vineyards, spending a lot of time talking to winemakers, starting to travel a lot and realizing the problem was just more than the egregious new oak and it was all this wine manipulation, as well as abysmal farming. And so you're so alluding to
2: a style mm-hmm. you could, I guess, pick out like a Napa, where mm-hmm. it was an oaky, big, unctuous fruit bomb, and everything was made that way.
3: Right, and it was it drove an international score. Right, and oh.
2: Bordeaux's were like that. Exactly. They were scoring for Parker. Exactly. Right. So that turned you off.
3: Yeah, and so I wrote my, my first book, because it was, that was when I became a wine writer. Right. That is when I really said, okay, this is um, this is what I've got to talk about.
2: Right. And you took a little crap for that book, right? I still
3: take crap for that <laughs> you book. You
2: still take... Okay. All right. So you go on to write a couple more books Right. before you get to uh, The Dirty god to dirt. Wine.
3: Okay. So uh, Naked Wine, I wrote because natural wine started to become a thing. And I realized that... Tell
2: me when to you... Because I've been covering natural wine the duration of, you know, my whole show. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Very important, popular um, issue, subject. When, to you, in your mind, did the natural wine thing sort of hit you or you took notice?
3: Well, it hit me in 2000.
2: Okay. So it's 17 years already.
3: And, and, um, but... And to put things in perspective, when I wrote that first book, even though I clearly was talking about natural wine, I never used the word natural wine. Right. Even though my last chapter was all about Renaissance and Loire and what was happening there with all of the, what we viewed them as natural winemakers. But the term Pascaline was. Pascaline just used woke up,
2: you said Loire.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was the alarm rang. Right. Um, so. It really only started being, in in France, it would be like, you know, Bar Van Naturel, so the natural wine bars, but it really wasn't used much in the United States. Um, And it was just wine. It was just wine that we were drinking. Right. And so it really started becoming a threatening term around 2009, 2010.
2: We'll talk about that a little later, but I wanted to get a context. So you're saying 2000 and then nine We'll catch up to that because I want to get into the book before that. So
3: I wrote that natural wine book as a, so people would, a lot of people are going to be knocking off natural wine. A lot of people were going to be uh, marketing themselves in natural and a lot of people are going to fake it. And so I wanted to make sure there was something out there that gave the history, where it came from, that this overnight sensation actually took 40 years.
2: And to, at that point, there was really nothing around? There was nothing. Well, that was not so
3: true. Um, they but w- no, n-
2: nothing major or... No. That's why you broach the subject. Right. Um, so that comes out. So you were one of the early voices for natural right. wine and continue to be one. Um, let's get to the third book.
3: The love of wine. We can shorten the titles to the first. One. <laughs> leave the we subtitle have to. on. Just leave the Parkerization one and forget about the rest. It all, all right. comes from the editorial board. Um, so that was about my love of love affair with Georgia and Georgian wines and Georgia, the natural wines of Georgia, the, the country, country of Georgia,
2: which has an ancient history to wine. How they make it in amphoras and the style and all of that. Absolutely. Right? So you. Brief description on overview of
3: well eight thousand unbroken years of winemaking heritage deserves its own book in the English language I think so and now it's also in French but uh, so that was really it and it was covering what I view as the pioneers of this new venture this post Soviet um, Georgia wine culture
2: during the Soviet takeover were they making wine or they were suppressed.
3: They were only allowed to make wine professionally in the wine factories, in the state-sanctioned wine factories. But everybody in the country made wine for themselves. Right. And there are people who ended up in—actually, in, in my newsletter in the next issue, I'm going to be talking about some guy who ended up in the clink for being busted for selling his own wine <laughs> during the 80s.
2: But that all opened up now. I mean, now it's, it's a, fine. It's yeah. a much it's, better It's market. flourishing. So you mentioned the firing line. You wrote the three books, the book we're going to talk about, your fourth, but you launched the Firing Line newsletter when? In the early 2000s?
3: No, right before Hurricane Sandy. So that's 2013?
2: That's, that's when it started, I thought, before. No. So it's about four years it's old. Going,
3: it's Hurricane Sandy Anniversary. It'll wow, be four years that's old. that's
2: memorable. What was the inspiration for that? I mean, at some point you sat down and said, you know what? I really need to get this on paper, well, organize it, and get in front of people. Well,
3: I've been blogging since 2004. But in 2013, I took it to a subscription only. Um,
2: that's my misunderstanding. That's 2004, you've been blogging. Yes. About natural wines?
3: It's about wine. It was wine, my diary. everything.
2: And then in 13.
3: It was I think it started because people really want wine recommendations for me and it's probably my least favorite thing so I thought I'd make it a job.
2: Okay. Why is it your least favorite thing? People always say to me, "Sam, give me a good restaurant." I, and I get stuck. And then I'll walk away, and nine will come into my head.
3: You know, I don't mind recommending, but there's a certain tedious work of getting everything down, and it's a form and a format of the way to write it, and to get... And it's just... It's not what I really want to spend my time writing. I want to spin a narrative. So that is is very much work for me. And so I turned it into a little natural wine newsletter.
2: Okay. Um, All right, so... That gets us current, because you wrote Naked Wine around 2016, and it's oh. 17, and... Uh, well,
3: Naked Wine, 2011, um, for, uh, the Sorry, wine, for the Love of Wine, 2016, and now... Thank you. ...2017. Right, 2017. Another book, yeah, right.
2: Right, and we'll talk about The Firing Line later, too. Okay. All right, so Pascaline and Alice, let's talk about the book. One of the ways I want to frame this is I read the book. I loved it. It helped me with my wine knowledge and I think it'll do that for anyone whatever your level of interest in wine is. Um, There's so much information in the book. I mean, it's really chock full of information. So I think it'll be impossible for us to cover it all here. So let's try to cover the most useful and important aspects of the book. You know, help help me with that. But Whatever we have to do. So my first question is, obviously, how did the idea of the book come about?
3: Well, the idea of the book came about because I was asked to write a beginner's wine guide. Okay. And I I know it may not seem really obvious to make this a beginner wine guide, but I really started thinking about how... uh, We have started learning about grape first, and you do a grape exploration. And it seems to me all backwards and wrong, especially in an age and a time when uh, wine grapes have become style more than an expression of the place. And so that was my initial idea, to bring it back to actually one book that I wish existed, and I wish I didn't have to write it, which was a book that is broken down into... uh, so, subsoil. And right,
2: which we'll talk about, talk. the specifics and all of that. But what, also
3: to, to mend it into to bring it back to, you know, yes, milk comes from the udder of a cow, right. and, <laughs> right. and grapes do come from the hand of man is sticking them into the earth, and what earth that is.
2: Right. People have, when you read the book, you'll have an idea of what kind of earth there is. When are we talking about? I mean, when did all this discussion of writing the book um, are we talking a couple of years ago?
3: We're talking a couple of years ago. Okay. I probably signed the contract um, two years ago.
2: Okay. And when did Pascaline become involved and you guys started working together?
3: Oh, Pascaline was, re- well, probably by the time that I started writing the proposal. Pascaline, do you want to? Hi, yeah. Pascaline. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <sleeping>. Come on. <laughs> no. Um, of course I'm not.
4: I think it's um, yeah. Like we we ha- we had a couple of conversations. Like we have been Alice and I knowing each other for ten years. Um, and
2: so the relationship way pre-exists Absolutely. the idea of the book and the writing of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe not formulated, but the way we have been testing together uh, definitely led us to really um, think about the wine world a lot about the similar sensibilities. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely, and so the dialogue and the idea of you know, kind of like putting together region because of their bedrocks and the right. way we are feeling the wine, came through a lot of tasting we are doing together. So I, th- I think the, the thing happened when Alice was really wondering about okay, I I don't want to write that beginner wine book, but if I have to, this is probably the angle that I would like to to take. And we are talking all the time together, so. I, I remember you sharing in like, with me and talking about that one this so, and, and you were oh. and you so were talk, at
3: my kitchen table and you said, "I want to do this with you
2: talk talk to me about logistics then. Um, obviously, you had to do a decent amount of travel, I mean to really witness whether it's volcanic or sedimentary, so you guys embarked in a decent amount of travel
3: in a perfect world that would have happened, but we really drew on. We travel a lot, and we've gone to a lot of places. And there were some travel past that did experiences. happen, right? And there okay. were some new things that we logged up um, in the in that time, like Mount Etna, you know, going to Sicily and right. other places like that. Mm. Right. But we, because we didn't have the amount of time that we wanted, we just had to
2: right. Um, so you you pulled from your past experiences
3: and made a few future ones, yeah. right?
2: Um, and were you tasting a ton of wines?
3: Well, Pascaline's always tasting a ton of wines. Yeah.
4: Yeah, we are tasting a lot of wine. We, we also, like, yeah, the, 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 the thing with that book is, in fact, where the deadline was quite mm-hmm. quite short. Um, so um, we, we, we were lucky to be able also to go to, to Massive Big Tasting where we could meet a lot of, of winemakers, um, and let's say if we in the book we are talking about some people we may have not visited after the contract was signed, right. we visited them before, and we, we, we were very lucky because we 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 had I would say quite great relationship with a lot of these mm-hmm. these winemakers. So definitely they were a massive help, and we could ask all the questions we wanted. So right. so that was that was also a big help for certain regions that we already definitely. visited. And we wanted to have more details on, let's say, Alsace or others. We knew who to talk to, and they knew that they could be very, very transparent and very detailed, and they definitely gave us a lot, a lot, a lot.
2: I remember emailing you, telling you I was coming to the restaurant on a Sunday night, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was like the beginning of this year, and it's like, I gotta stay home and finish this book. <laughs> I'm like, what? You're not done with it yet? I mean, so it went, sounds like it went down to the wire, but...
3: Well, it was a kind of thing. It's like, possibly, you've got to, like, you know, double-check all this stuff. she says, I right. can't for another week. I said, it's due Tuesday, babe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and fun. Tuesday's
2: around the corner. All right, so let's get specifically into some important parts of the book. I'll set it up. The book, The Dirty Guide to Wine, organizes wine not by the grape or region, but by soil type. That's, you know, a big theme of the book. Um, so let's start. I need you guys to help define for me and the listeners, what is soil and why is it so important to wine? And I think this is where everything breaks down into categories and regions and all of that. This is where there's a lot of knowledge. So what is soil and why is it important to wine?
3: Well, soil would be decomposed. rock. Okay. Is it the same everywhere? No. Okay. Um, are there? It comes from different sources. The, the original material comes from different places, whether it's volcanic or from the seabed, right? Or whether it changes over time.
2: So, if you look at a vineyard, there's layers, right? There's the topsoil, which is usually the the dirt. Mm-hmm. Does it go to a second and a third layer?
3: I'm shaking my head. Yes. What are they?
4: Yeah, I think everything, everything, um, like as Alice say everything depends, and we can re- break it down quite easily on topsoil and subsoil. So there is one of the things that um, was a common mistake that we also had to correct, and
2: which what, was what?
4: Like everybody call like talk soil. about soil when they talk about, in fact, bedrock. You know, when you go to a winery and they say, you know, my soil is limestone. In fact, the bedrock may be limestone, but the so bed- soil... So limestone
2: the is a bedrock. Is a bedrock. Which mm-hmm. is, in your guy's description, a type of soil or part of the soil.
3: Well, there was a... Non- there was basically um, a disclaimer in the book that said... Usually in the book, when we're talking about soil, we're talking about either subsoil or bedrock. And it basically is the shorthand that the rest of the world uses. But you need to remember that it
4: is the shorthand. So we... Right. We had um, the whole... Yeah, in the introduction of the book, you, you have that. And, and you have that topsoil when you have what... What is really what you're talking about is like centimeters that are uh, a mix on of organic matter and 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 then you said and a mineral
2: subsoil
4: absolutely below that, that, yeah. So you have that mix on the top uh, can that you can differ wherever you're in the world if mm-hmm. it's weathered, if it's not weathered, right. and sometimes, somewhere, some places you are in direct contact with, with that it. bedrock, right? Uh, it's very rare because most of the places on earth have been, you know. Weathered and have been also worked by by humans, so you have a lot of of that topsoil everywhere. So, when people are talking about limestone, granite, basalt, and all that kind of thing, they are mentioning what is under, below that topsoil. That can be
2: a couple of centimeters. Which really identifies the area. So, you break it down into three types the bedrocks, I guess, Mm -hmm. fair to say, and pascaline, they are. Igneous, yeah, absolutely, yeah. which is basically volcanic,
4: what, volcanic is one of them.
2: Uh, which, what are the other two?
4: So, it's basically the two main side. When you think about this type of soil, uh, the, the best way to think about it is like is there, is the earth is what's coming from the magma, and then there is two ways either they explode or they stay under the crust of the earth. Right. So, the explosion is. What people refer with volcanic soil, you know,
3: it's kind of funny. But you're bringing up something. Writing this book learned so much because when I first, I always used to think of granitic soils as volcanic, because it all comes from, you know, the lava, right? But no, it, but not geologically. So it's whether, you know, it is trapped into the earth and it's under pressure, and that is what happens with granite, or whether the magma flows and then hardens, then decomposes, and that would be basalt. So,
2: are basalt and granite under the category of igneous? Yes. Volcanic? Okay. Um,
4: so just just on that note, and I think it's, it's quite important for us to mention, um, the, the book per se is not a, a geologic book.
2: No, I think that's important. And, that and, is, and, and is is that's very, why I said when you talk about it, it can go that way, and I don't want anyone to think.
4: It's not we don't pretend to be geologists, we don't pretend to be scientists, we don't pretend to say that we are going to tell you, um, technically, what we are going to talk about, we are just um, using um, this perspective and this angle to uh, to kind of break down the world of wine right. and to draw new perspective. So it's not like you are going to learn exactly what is a mineral compound of basalt and all the um, the, the physical. Um, the physical characteristic of bazaar and so on and so on, on, it's not technical like that Mm -hmm. what we're going to put together in the main region of the world where you can find this soil type and we are going to suggest that if you taste them side by side or if you enjoy them um, together there may be something that's going to link them so we are not going to describe the relationship between pH and soil and pH of wine Uh, we are not going to get into that because first it's absolutely not our specialty um, we are not scientists on that side. Right. Uh, we are. I'm a. I'm a Somalian. at least a wine writer. But we are going to say, you know what? We when we taste this wine together, our, our, our experience and our tastings led us to think that, you know what? There is maybe something to think about between Etna uh, and and Tenerife and, and What about tasting them together?
2: So, um, the question I had was, can you really taste the dirt? And the answer is. Yes.
3: Well, actually, you really can taste the dirt, and all you've got to do is see what happens when somebody goes from conventional farming over to organic or biodynamic farming, and see the change. So, talking about that kind of dirt, yes, you can taste that. Um, And a lot of so there are a lot of changes in farming. So on the topsoil and uh, it's more
2: lively. hmm? We'll, We'll talk about natural and organic wine, which also leads to the type of farming. But just to finish, and I don't want to stay nerdy, there's the volcanic rock, there's mm-hmm. the sediment, sedimentary rock, which mm-hmm. is sort of a slurry, dust, and then there's a metamorphic rock, mm-hmm. which are spread out through different wine regions in the world. Metamorphic quickly is what?
4: Um, metamorphic just means that there is a transformation. Metamorphic, that the change like change of, of the structure that is linked... Uh, to pressure and heat to make it simple, so a soil uh, that was something, let's say mud or clay, uh, can have been transformed through pressure and, right. and and temperature, usually because there is eruption or there is, you know, mountain formation of things like that. And that changed to something else. And in the case of let's say the mud or the clay, may became shale. Which is one phase. It is just compressed, and then if it's also metamorphic, there's metamorphism, become slate or schist. So all these soil type are are, can come from either igneous origin or sedimentary origin, and they are going to get transformed.
2: Right. There are some areas in the world where the type of rock is sort of indigenous to that area. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, is there an igneous, sedimentary, or more metamorphic area only.
3: It's very hard to get a hundred percent of one soil type. Okay, um, but, but there know, are. But a, I mean, we know Burgundy is classic. You know, it's limestone, 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 limestone right. of so uh, different a, variations. Right. So that is, you know, the classic.
2: Right. So in a sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, Mountaintop Mount
3: basalt. Yeah. Right.
2: And then there are similar grapes that are grown on every type of soil and that's where the variation and the taste is because of whether it's limestone or
4: yeah, part, volcanic. P- part of it. So I think what we were also saying in, in the book is like we are putting the emphasis on the dirt because we, we are really thinking that has been kind of not not it's enough forgotten. put under on, under the light and but we are not saying you just taste the dirt. Like you need to we know we are. We absolutely understand that the way that the wine test is linked to the place, nice. linked to the soil, the farming, of uh-huh. course, but then to the vintage, to the right. grape, to the all all the composants and people are calling mm-hmm. still terroir, which is still a very meaningful word. With that uh, a single place in the world, is very different. So even you can have a, a Chardonnay growing on, on limestone, if you're in Champagne, if you're in Chablis, and mm-hmm. if you're in the Côte de you know, you are not necessarily going to get the same first because the limestone is slightly different, but right. the climate is different, the microclimate right. is different, and and what we also you know talked a lot about the winemakers when we were doing the books, they were right. saying us, you know, you know, one of the big thing about the soil, it's not necessarily the the, the mineral compound of the soil is like really the physical capacity of drainage and and light and heat retention, and at the end, you know, the, the great soil is, are the ones that help. To deal with climate and vintage variation, like the, the right. great soil the, are the one that <coughs> are able to absorb over like extraordinary warm or mm-hmm. extremely wet, and when and the, survive and survive and to
3: produce something in in most vintages that is beautiful, the one that you have to do the less to correct, right? Um, but you know the book acts on so many different levels. On the most simplistic level, I really wanted it to be a way to people to just go, Wow, let me just discover all the limestone, you know, like places in the world in one place. You can go to this book and see that or Or granite, or all those things. And there's, I have wanted that in my own wine life so often.
2: There's a lot of usable information. I mean, at the end of each chapter, I mean, you do break it down by the three rock types, but then you talk about the specifics limestone, clay, and all of that. And there's a treasure trove of specifics, Mm -hmm. you know, of of specific winemakers, you know, recommended um, wine types. Um, regions and all of that. So, I mean, it's the type of book that you could walk away with specific, you know, selections and idea. I mean, it's fair to say that at the end of every chapter. I think chapter. it's fair to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do farmers have to farm differently with the different soils? I mean, there's not, if you're an organic bi- biodynamic, you're, you're farming a certain sustainable style way. But... Does it vary, or it's really the same thing? You take care of the land, the land takes care of you. Type
3: well, thing. it's not just the subsoil or, the, you know, or the, the rock that you have to take into consideration, but also where you are. So if you're in a wet area or a dry area, right. no matter, you may have the same you know, like bedrock, but you're going to have to deal with the topsoil very differently. Right. Um,
4: certainly so it, it depends
2: right so it definitely different approach for every area
4: yeah but what we we, we kind of realize also is like every every winemaker uh, we mm-hmm. know uh, as is every 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 plot is very different so you like we are we are amazed by how everybody is really working in a different way just because as Alice is mentioning none one plot of vine will be the same and I mm-hmm. think what we can characterize about organic and biodynamic, which is, at the end, um, uh, first, and uh, like, can I say, it's not using a certain type of chemical product. It is also a sense of observation and, and a sense of how to understand the plant the best, to have the most biodiversity and strength in the plant itself. Right. So that it's different everywhere in the world. So, like these farmers we are talking about, are really working on getting the, the best strength, the, the, the more complex strength to the plant. So the plant per se can have a very um, active root system, can have right. a very active uh, and and healthy photosynthesis, can defend itself again again disease and so on and so on and so on. So it's um, it's a more an observation approach than just saying oh you know it's not just organic because it just it's it's right right it's a bit too simplistic um, to think like that.
2: I want to ask you a couple more things, then I want to talk a little about natural wine. We're talking to Alice Firing and Pascaline LaPeltier, their new book, The Dirty Guide to Wine, is out. Um, Pascaline, I was just curious, you know, you're in MS, you've seen a lot of, you know, SOM tests and all of that. I mean, are there any references or tastings or tests that reference soil or rocks, or it doesn't really get that deep? Just a curiosity.
4: Um, when when we blind taste, um, we we indeed mention minerality. Okay. You no, know? nobody uh, likes that
2: term, right? No, and nobody
4: likes no, that no, term. Exactly. Minerality. It's yeah. dangerous. It's a dangerous <laughs> term. But it's it's here. It's appearing. You know, in 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 a blind tasting. So we, of course, it's a, as we, we we said that I almost I take all that down in the in the forward. We're saying for me, minerality is a false problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It doesn't mean that doesn't exist. I think today the, the the tools that we have to understand minerality are not adapted to to, um, to the concepts or the criteria we are trying to use to express minerality or may not be the the, the best and the most uh, accurate to do so. Thus we go to say, oh there is no minerality because I can't right. have a direct contact ha- like there is not a direct link between. Like the classic oyster shell of Chablis and the smell of oyster shell, it's not because we can't conceptualize it and today we can't uh, scientifically prove it that it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that right now we are not intellectually equipped to understand it um, right. we but we it's funny because in blind testing we are talking about it all the time right so is it is it part of sulfur compound due to certain yeast strength in the fermentation is it something way more complex due to the composition of the must that is linked to the way that the grape has been grown that is linked to the ability of the plant to extract certain nutrients from the ground you know what i'm not i i, I know there is a a lot of works being done right now in in laboratory to think about that and to try to understand this, but we are just at the very, very beginning. and life is extraordinarily complex. as we know, life is the most complex thing, and maybe our, our, our scientific brain is not ready yet to 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 put it on a paper and to say this is how it works. yet there is something and we were Alice and I, you know, after re- talking about the book and re- like writing that book we, we kind of went down to say you know what, the way we maybe feel it is not going to be in the aromas um, but more in a certain uh, st- structural expression of the wine that right. is usually uh, expressed through the acidity and the tannic structure mm-hmm. and if we, if we may dare to go and say there is some parallel, maybe the way to, to, to to get into it is to to really pay attention to this parameter, okay. which are the acid and and the tannic structure. Right, for sure.
2: right. Um, Alice. <laughs> let me ask you one last thing about the book. Why why did you devote a separate chapter, unlike other regions, to the al Yeah,
3: um, there's just such a huge variety of it needed its own chapter. Yes, it just, it's really hard to categorize it. We could have, there's quite a, most of the Grand crew are limestone and we could have gone there, but that would have been a great disservice. And so it seemed like a wonderful illustration to say, and now you can deconstruct everything you know. Right, <laughs> you know, <there's... laughs>
2: put it at the end. Here's here's right. what you know. Now let's apply it right. to this region. I, you know, I didn't think of it that way, and now it makes total sense.
3: And in a way, many years ago, it wasn't many years ago. I think 2011 or 2012 when I was in Alsace, and I was at this restaurant in the northern part of the the region that had a wonderful, oh, it was a fabulous restaurant. And it had a wonderful wine list, and it was it was segregated into into rock type. And so you could totally taste Riesling from. Is that six the first
2: time you saw that?
3: That is the first time I saw it.
2: Acknowledged it and made a mental note. Totally. Like this is, you know, an really cool, interesting it home. way. Yeah. yeah. And it made sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was
4: great. Yeah, it made sense for Azaz too. It's not like it was mm-hmm. something that was made up, you know, because after that you no, saw a couple definitely. of wines going out in the US about salt, like kind of salt type, but was more made up. Like you could see there was no. Right. Uh, but in Azaz, Mm-hmm. It's, it's true to the place too to Is Alsace as
2: good a region to do it that way. I mean, it's just set up better. No, to they, pro-
4: they
3: really have it because diversity. of the big mountain range that collapsed, what happened to Al- which formed Alsace and, and right. it's you know, um, it really just had such a mishmash of so many different soil types. so it just made, it was the poster child for That's for that why. kind of thing. And it didn't seem right to ignore it because we're both great fans of the wines from Alsace, which is a region that doesn't get as much love as it should.
2: No, and I think in time you will see that I think that's more people, change. Yes. Will sommeliers will cheerlead for it. They'll carry more of it. Mm. You know, they'll talk about its diversity, food pairing and all of that. All right, let's talk about natural wine for a minute or two. Um, you know, we spoke earlier. You wrote a book about the industrialization of wine, mm-hmm. um, organic certified, organic certified, biodynamic, all that stuff. What and natural is a crazy term, Alice. In your mind, what what makes a natural wine natural? Is it the certification? I, I mean, we all agree: nothing added, nothing taken away, mm-hmm. is a practice in winemaking on the land. But wh- how do you, def- you know? Well, we- that's
3: starting with at least organic viticulture: nothing added, nothing taken away, and that is a philosophy um, more than a, a dogma. Um, and so, for me, this is a wine that is that I experience it as being alive that changes with every sip that is, um, feels Why good in is my body. Why is it alive versus well, you know,
2: a, a, yeah, a Bordeaux doing, or a Cali Cap? Because well, of the there, way it's...
3: Well, there could be... Actually, there are one or two California Cabernets that I could definitely put in that category. And there are more than a few Bordeaux that I can put in that category. So I don't want to really just... Right. you know, like, Dish to, on to, it. Totally. Right. Uh, but... What let's put it to a market-driven wine as opposed to a wine that is really representative place with no um, none of the seventy-two perfectly legal added uh, additives, legal additives that are allowed in wine, not the high level of sulfite added that is allowed from like one hundred sixty parts per million and up.
2: You know, people realize there's sulfur sulfites in wine, but. There's so much other crap that can be added and is added. But just
3: talking about sulfides, if you're talking about 160 or 180, what's the legal? Like 160 parts per million? That's a measurement, parts per million. As opposed to maybe 30 parts per million, that is a huge difference, and you're going to get a huge difference in the way you're experiencing that wine in your mouth. Because that sulfur really, its um, it traps a wine. It basically hairsprays it in place. Right. And a lot of the additives do that as well. It fixes the color. And somebody in the market marketing room has decided, we need this kind of color. And we need this kind of mouthfeel. And we need this amount of sugar, residual sugar in there. And like, no, I don't want your idea. I don't drink. I never drank soda. It's not my There's culture. There's been
2: a lot of talk. Uh, Eric Asimov approached it. Bianca Bosker made some statement about it creating wines for the market you know for consistent taste the opposite of what we're talking about and um what should be done um is sulfur one of the few things that a practicing natural winemaker will add as little as he can or or Mm -hmm. none Yes. And nothing else. And nothing else.
3: And there are plenty of people making yeast. beautiful wines who are not adding any sulfide at all. And that's what they do. And they're really successful at it. So it is very possible. Right. And, but I'm not going to, I mean, personally, I drink things between zero and up to 40.
2: But you cap it somewhere. I do, except you know. when I'm
3: dealing with some wonderful traditional wine and that's what they right. do. And it's, you right. know, so... Like Lopez de Ardea, so so that's natural enough for me, even right. though the sulfite level is and Pascaline, higher.
2: Pascaline, you drink a lot of, you know, the wines that you love are low sulfite. Anyway, do you have a cap like Alice? I will not drink well, anything above fifty. But I don't no, think
3: it's that. I made, made that cap. But yeah. it's but, more like you realize, you know, what the, these are the wines that I like, and I can feel right. it more. But let me, I didn't want to.
4: Um, it's you know uh, at least the software question is also uh, it's way more complex you know like Everything depends. So when when the sulfur has been added, yes. which type of the pH of the one, which type of sulfur, sulfur are you adding? Right.
3: So yes. it goes okay. Way are you adding like
4: metabisulfite potassium? Are you doing like volcanic. volcanic sulfur?
2: Yeast is not yeast. It's complex.
4: Yeah. So sulfur, um, I
2: guess, uh, the same. I,
4: th- I think you just you just develop as 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 you taste. You just uh, hopefully develop uh, a, a palate that is more and more sensitive to certain thing when you. When you can feel a certain level of sulfur, but sulfur bothers me like Alice, it is when it's just stripped out of the wine. You know when the problem is when you need to aerate your wine so much to get something out of it, right. uh, nose and palate wise, and you think that's not good. Oh, it's just not. It's not good, have... but it's 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 just it's just it's, not, it's dead. It feels it's, right. It feels it's not dead.
2: natural. It should come about on its own with all it that. It just come coaxing.
4: about or, you know, it's also certain wine I made with like, the winemaker intentions really not to release this wine for 20 mm-hmm. or 30 right. years. So he's really want to protect the wine for the long run. If it's for something you want to drink on the younger side, um, it's definitely, unfortunately, it takes something away from the wine and right. from the work of the winemaker. But it also means for me that the stability of the wine per se is maybe not strong enough that the winemaker felt that he had mm-hmm. to really used more to make his right. wine more stable, right. which means that maybe it was not as stable as it should have been to start. Right. So it's a, it's a way more complicated subject than that. I think I'd, I hate more like everything going from like bad back oak treatment and gum and all <laughs> like yeah. kind right. of. So far, so far is also like I I think it's time I wouldn't say to move on from that subject, but keeping the subject not, of natural oranges well on on, like, on, it, right. on sulfur, 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 I think you just... It's, you're missing the point. You're missing the point right. of why. Why is that became mm-hmm. the question? And honestly... I would love to do some tasting with people about sulfur level, and it will be in blind, and I, I think people will be very surprised to think they know where there is, yeah, there is no. I, It's really I, difficult. I
2: think you know the wines, and if you set it up, I think it's the result, you're right uh, about that. <laughs> um, Alice, do you still have aspirations of making a natural kosher wine?
3: <laughs> I do.
2: Do you? Is I that do. something you'll one day pull the trigger <laughs> on, or do. you just Every think about vintage,
3: it? I vintage, I'm thinking this one, and I'm so, trying to find... And, the, and, you know, it's complicated to find, actually, the rules of what I need to do. And it pisses me off a great deal that, as a yeshiva girl, I cannot handle the wine So, myself. I've
2: been to enough seders <laughs> make it. and break fast and Rosh Hashanah dinners, drank a million kosher wines. None of them are natural?
3: You know, there may be one out of British Columbia.
2: But it's so... It's one. Right. Okay. So... Well, so oh, actually,
3: there's a guy, well, it's close, and it's pretty close, um, Fort Gates and Santa Cruz. Okay. I, I'd put him as um, Benjamin, I'd put him as the closest we have to a natural wine in kosher.
2: I, we were up at the Culinary Institute a week ago. A bunch of us from Heritage went up, and I'm driving down back to New York and I see the Kedem Winery, you know, I think it used to be in the Lower East Side. You need to go up there and convince (laughs) those guys and show them how to do it. You know, I'll buy it. All right. We we have to take a quick break. Um, We're talking to Alice Firing and Pascaline Lapeltier. We're talking about their new book, The Dirty Guide to Wine. We're going to come back, and we are going to subject uh, Alice and Pascaline to our wine list. We want to get their take on a few things. So you're listening to The Grape Nation, and we'll be right back.
1: This program is brought to you by Chef's Collaborative a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. One, eight, six, two,
2: eight,
0: two.
1: All
2: right, we're back. We're back with Alice Firing and we're back with Pascaline LaPeltier. And I want to, guys, I want to buzz through this pretty quickly um, because I want to taste a little wine, too. And we'll talk a little more about the book. But let's do the wine list first. It's a bunch of questions. Alice, you answer first, then Pascaline. Don't dwell on it. Let's make this a speed round. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What's interesting you? Is it seasonal? Is there a region you want to taste through? What's What's on your table now?
3: Well, uh, you know, sometimes I don't have the luxury of drinking what I want to drink because I've got to taste so much. But mm-hmm. <laughs> a wine that I can't get enough of, I feel so boring. It's Domaine Guillon. It's um, uh, called Guillon for me. G-U-I-O-N uh, Guillon. Uh, from Burgoy, Um Not really next door to Chinon in, in the Loire and it's ridiculously cheap and ridiculously delicious and completely savory and I love it to pieces okay. but if it's summer I'm drinking muscadet
2: okay all right pasca
4: <laughs> um I'm, I'm, I'm totally digging petit monsang. Like I'm in mean my Petit Monseigne, Grand Monseigne kind of kick right now. Petit, what? Petit Monseigne. M-A-N-S-E-N-G. What is that? It, it's, a, it's an amazing grape from the southwest of France that you find in Jurançon and Irolegui. Okay. It's an unsung hero. Uh, after Chanel, we we'll drink Monseigne all the time, and I'm like... Can I, we
2: I, find a bottle of Rouge Tamar?
4: Uh, we can. You can find a lot. I think I probably okay. have the, the biggest, have most, at least, Thompson. Right, that's
2: a good one. All right. Alice, favorite wine and food pairing? I know it's a mm. goofy question, but you've drank so much wine and ate so much food and they've crossed paths. Okay. What makes sense?
3: Last, um, last week I had one that I thought was fabulous. It was a Yona Schimmel Cabbage Knish. <laughs> With like uh, Vino Di Lucci, um, ro- Rosato, uh, sparkling wine from Metna, and I thought it was awesome.
2: Now, I will tell you and guarantee you that of all the shows I've done, nobody's ever gave me that pairing. I'm
3: and, and I'll put good money down nobody else does, so
2: we'll leave it at that. Pasca... <sighs>
3: And it's
4: her job. It's <laughs> my job. Yeah. Shenan with everything.
2: Shenan with everything. There you it. I'll buy that. Uh, Done right it. there. <laughs> Don't need to waste any more time. Um, guys, tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And I ask that not to get you in trouble you know you you own your partner in a restaurant and all that but who's doing it right besides you guys where the wine service the selection the environment the food do you have a well
3: in the in New York City, hands down, I really, I mean, it has to be Richemont. I agree. <laughs> because nobody has, and I was just speaking about this today with somebody else, because no place has the, the depth and, and the history and on the that the thoughtfulness list. to what you know, they're everything. doing. So it's like, you know, it, that is, I just have to say that. Okay, and if I was forced to choose another place?
2: Give me one more.
3: It's hard.
2: Is it a neighborhood thing? Is it a destination really to you? I really
3: like Four Horsemen. I like going to Four okay. Horsemen.
2: A good natural bar in Brooklyn. We had Justin on in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great choice. Yeah. Interesting place. Pasca, do you... Uh, I see you hang out at other places.
4: I yeah, want some time when, when I can, when i off. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I really like For horseman too. Um, uh, hands on to Sauvage and the guy at Maison Premiere. Yeah, uh, it's yes. a great place, great price, a great, great selection. Those are great places. Uh, yeah. So, it's all
2: right. Now, do you, Alice, have a favorite all-time wine? Do you have a wine that? Well, when asked this question, you I have still, an I
3: still, I mean, I guess I still almost tear up and say, "Well, Cloroche Blanche is no longer in existence, and I haven't since." They sold off their land since Catherine and got when rid of the When was land. this? Um, 2014 was their last oh, vintage. Oh, so it's fairly recent. And so I haven't had a replacement and I, it's because for years I was say, like, of course, it's Clarice Blanche. So, so that's, I can Okay, you're that. in trouble. But if I'm going to do it, then I'll probably say, uh, you know, either Joe Landron or, um, or Marc Olivier Muscadet.
2: Okay. Yeah. Those are some uh Good choices, nothing too fancy, nothing too expensive. What about you, Pasca? Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. What um, else? <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, that is a tough one. Um, no. Uh, if I have one, one bottle would be um, if I would be uh, a Chartreuse. Chartreuse. Yeah, uh, old Chartreuse, old Tarragona. Right. From like, I need to come into a...
2: Rouge Tamat, and you need to sit with me for a half an hour and give me a quick primer and tasting. We don't have to go through all of it. But you, I know nothing about chartreuse.
4: Oh, my God. Your and life I, is going to get better soon. I know.
2: All right. So, we, Alice, you sort of answered this before. Uh, I'm not sure it's the appropriate question for you guys, but I think in all your travels and writing, I always ask people the best wine around 15 to 20 bucks or red and white. I already have. Yes. You gave me one. And I think Muscadet, too. Um, Pasca, if you. Prices had, are going up. Then. My son yeah. is in his mid-late 20s. He's going to a dinner party with friends. They're making nice food. He wants to bring two, three bottles of wine. Spend 15, 20 bucks. What's he bringing, red, white?
4: Yeah, he's still going to the Loire. Huh? I'm, I'm, totally. so, I'm so sorry to, to yeah, be the such. The Loire a, is it. The Loire is it. I think the loire, for white, I would go Loire. Loire, Muscadet, Loire. You have, you have so much choices for the Loire. Okay. Um, Touraine. Like all red example. too? For, for uh, I can also give some love, I think, to the southwest for red. Uh, uh, that's okay. a good idea. Um, give me
2: something specific. Uh,
4: something specific for red. Elian Darros Côte du Marmandais menday Le vin est une fête. So we are downstream uh, from Bordeaux. Um, uh, and uh, Elian works with the same grape variety. Beautiful, Merlot-based. I like Merlot when Merlot is done like that. And it's absolutely delicious. Because and no reasonably priced? Super reasonably priced, super complex, can okay. age. So I will... I will That's I why I, I asked
2: you. You gave us the right answer. All right, I'm going to ask you a stupid, silly, nerdy, dumb question. Never asked anybody this before. If you had to pick a favorite... Of the three rock regions—igneous, <laughs> sedimentary, or metamorphic—and <laughs> one of those areas characterizes wines that you love the most. Can you answer that? I can. Okay, what is it? Granite. Granite, because it's where.
3: Well, it's one of those other things that you realize that some of your favorite wines come from. Okay, Billy. that's what I was. Trying and to then I through. went, "Oh my god, I'm a granite slut." Okay. So it's the Northern room. New title
2: for Alice, Granite Slut.
3: <laughs>
4: and she has a T-shirt already, yeah, so yes. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. What, what? about... Pasca, what about you? Same or... Um, schist. Schist? Mm. And we find Schist where? In Anjou. In Anjou? Where schist. Okay. Where I'm from. So is... This- is does Chenon Grow on other things besides schist or mostly schist. Chenin grows on all the soil type. Uh, the most it does. Thing, okay. it does, it does. Okay, because I remember I was at Rouge Tomat and Jim gave me a Chenin. He said this comes from a very funky soil rock and it'll have a different characteristic.
4: I, I probably gave you something from Central France, from Aveyron. Uh, which is a bit more yeah, yeah,
2: and it definitely was distinct in all of that. All right, those are all great answers. I may have to come back to you guys for some spell checking. But <laughs> what we do is we post those um, answers on our uh, website and Facebook page. All right, we have a few minutes left. I want to taste a little wine. Pascaline, you brought in a Muscadet, right? Yeah, and you brought a muscadet. Tell me quickly what you brought in.
4: I brought 2014 Domaine de l'Ecu Orthognaise, Orthognes in English. Um, uh, I I brought that because it's it's a very uh, emblematic wine for uh, Alice and I, because uh, first, we are a big fan of the previous owner, Guy Bossa, and his uh, last vintage, no, Fred. Uh, Nigel von Erck took over the estates, but uh, Guy was one of the pioneer of organic and bionic farming in, in Muscadet, which is an area where you can <laughs> definitely kill yourself trying to farm organically and biodynamically. And uh, Guy also was one of the first bottling different soil type. So you can right. find his Muscadet th- with three it's
2: different le- soils. E.C.U. Cu, right. So you
4: can find the Gness, the Orthognes, and Granite. And if you test them side by side, they are made the same way you can't deny there is something really? different. Yeah. So I brought it because it was one of the most emblematic one. And you brought a Clisson from Pépierre, which is
2: Right. So every awesome. week, we taste a different wine on air. Um, for our weekly wine sip this week, I brought in a 2014. So we're on the same vintage years. A Domaine de la Pepier Clisson, Muscadet. How do you pronounce S-E-V-R-E?
4: sevres
2: um, the wine retails for about 18 to 26 bucks available at better wine shops. The Le how much is it? Same re- price. Same price. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So the Clisson, the Pepier, what did we say, rock?
4: Uh, so Clisson is one of uh, what's happening in Muscadet right now. They're subdivising the region, which is a pretty big one which Muscadet Sevres Vraiment in that case in communal cru or growth based on soil type. So it's amazing that you brought that because it's what's happening there. Right. And Clisson uh, should be mostly granite. Uh, it's a bit more complex than that, but to make it simple, it's going to be granite.
2: Mm-hmm. So I have more acidity on this wine than the Léa Am I right about that? Um, or not necessarily?
4: There is slightly more acidity. Um, granite is also for me, uh, especially in Muscadet, tends to be a little bit more closed down. So uh, Gee, Guy, Guy is telling that, you know, orthognathicness is kind of more open, given, broader, f- more fleshy. And granite uh, that you can keep, you know, one to ten years. And granite you can keep it forever. So granite is always, for me, a bit more close in terms of the aromatics when young. Yes. And just more tense, not as fleshy. Yes. Um, You're always gonna a, get a, a, a kind of a brininess too in the, in a back palate. Like there's almost.
2: definitely a salinity. And it's like and a celery a salt, sea breeze. Yeah,
4: to uh, that and a touch of the other one. vegetal. The touch of vegetal hint at the very very end, like kind of a sage quality. There is a more a slightly more varietal thing that is always for me young granite uh, tends to be like that in the Muscadet the
2: mouthfeel is, is fantastic medium to full right it's yeah
4: kinda... also because they have to to be able to put the cru on it they have to do a longer aging on the lease uh, so there is definitely a wish like when you find now Muscadet with a cru designation you know that the yield are lower lower sorry and the aging is given to to, to build wine to age so right. anything, it's, it's beautiful wine
2: um, Color-wise, typical color, yellowish.
4: Yeah, you can see it's a bit more gold, uh, yeah, which is, is gold. also, uh, like for Muscadet, which is also linked to the fact that uh, both Pépierre and AQ are definitely harvesting ripe, riper grapes than most of the Muscadet estates, and, and they are looking for that to get that maturity to allow them to go through a bit more extensive aging. And there is definitely that color is linked to the aging of the yeah. wine for the clisson.
2: I think it has a... Pretty long finish.
4: Yeah, has a long and finish.
2: I don't want to use the word minerality, <laughs> but there's definitely some stone, crushed stone, or is that the granite in there?
4: You know, it's it's way more complex than that. But I, I think I think what <laughs> I you <knew> <laughs> Alex, <laughs> I knew I
2: was way off.
4: No, no, but I always like when I trained my staff about this idea of minerality. You know, I always do a very simple tasting, which is perfectly filtered water. And spring water with a high level of mineral content. And when you compare them side by side, you can really tell. tell. So, you know, it's not as direct in a wine, but definitely the fact that you are finishing on something very salty with a high citrusy feel in terms of your acidity, you are not finishing on the alcohol. The fruit is discreet and you are more on a sapidity and a savouriness link you to feel that that finish that is almost a, a bit tactile. Um, link you to think that there is something more than just glycerol alcohol and water eloquently (laughs) said
2: now the two wines what's a good food pairing for these wines traditionally is it something or what would you recommend for a, a, you know, a, a good muscadet. These are better muscadets.
4: These are definitely good muscadets. Uh, I think you can have a blast with a... If you just want to get geeky without being too geeky, I would have a blast with a bunch of oyster. Okay. Um, and I would do Always kind of a correction with, with eastern and western coast, for example. So go with like higher brineer more um, assertive oyster. Because go of with the them.
2: salinity, they match well with the brinier oyster. Yeah, it's,
4: it's a classic pairing, but then just... Right. I have a couple of different oysters with them, like, uh, and just try to see when you get more fleshier, sweeter, softer oysters. For example, from the West Coast, I would go more with the Cuisine, so just... Because kind of cut through, I will have more branier. I will go more with the autogness. I will have a blast, you know, trying yes. different oyster with different right. Muscadet.
2: Get a dozen, three, yeah. four different types. Yeah, but right.
4: amazing with, like, green salad. Everything, you have, like, bitter greens, bitter green, like, raw green vegetable with ice citrus, lemon-driven vinaigrette. Muscadet is your best friend.
2: Alice, do we like these wines?
4: Uh did I not say that
3: it was Muscadet that was gonna be my yes. like yes, oh yes, no but and these, these particular are, these are two these are, very good examples. Uh, Pepier uh, and Le Marc are. Olivier is is just a Muscadet yeah. master and it's yep. like he's fabulous, yes. yes.
2: And just a side thing, both of these guys practice natural, organic
4: uh, biodynamic certified for for domain de Quite so, sometimes, almost quite 20 some time years ago. What about Pepier? And, Pepe? and it's he's all organic now. Organic and certified okay. on yeah. the way to certification of yeah. biodynamic.
2: Okay. All right. So, two pretty good wines. Thank you, Pasca, for bringing that in. And we well, can continue this, to drink.
4: I don't have so, time, though. Uh,
2: what did Alice bring it,
3: in? Well, actually. We don't have time. It's from, it's open last night. <laughs> I,
2: I'm going to taste it. <laughs> it's open As last As we're night. wrapping the show up, I we're brought, taste I brought
3: it because it reminded me of Petit Melsang from the Sierra Foothills. And this is from the Dio Tell Madrid. Us,
2: we're going to drink this while I wrap up. Okay, so you. we're <laughs> drinking
3: four monos, four monkeys from uh, the Dio Madrid, uh, about an hour north of Madrid from Granite. It's almost a it, sherry nose and, or something. And it, So it, it is actually better today than yesterday. The acidity is mm. totally searing. And it's, do you see what I mean?
2: This is um, an interesting um, wine. It was
3: for the Petit Monsang from, uh, from La Clarine? Yeah. yeah. It, there's so, if anybody's ever had the Petit Monsang from La Clarine Farm, it's like really similar. Is
4: yeah. it? A little bit less acidity yeah. than Monsang. Because Monsang yeah. is albio, right, for this yeah, one, Yeah, All right,
2: so Alice, give me the name of this wine again. Go slow.
4: Four monos.
2: Four monos, M O N O S?
3: M O N O S, four monkeys.
2: Four monkeys, that's monkey, monos is monkey in Spanish. Yes. See, I'm like a translator. And it's made by?
3: It's made by a collective of four people. Um, I can't remember all their names now. And they work with old, uh, with reclaimed vineyards of very old, normal vineyards. Vinate, no. No, but Different. it's very similar. Similar setup. It's a very similar okay. setup and with very similar philosophy.
2: Okay. I'll get more info after. All right. We're going to wrap up the show. If you have a question, wine happening or event, hit me up at com. That's com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We'll post Pascaline and Alice's wine list. And one way or another, I'll figure out all the wines we drank and (laughs) list them. Because they're goodies and they're interesting, especially Alice's uh, last wine. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and Twitter at BenRuby. And check out our new website, thegrapenation.com. You'll see very flattering pictures of Alice and Pascaline will list the wine list answers and again the wines we drank. So let's talk about the book. Alice, the book is pretty much available everywhere. Amazon, better booksellers.
3: Yes, and a lot of wine shops.
2: Wine shops too. Yeah, Good. a lot of wine shops I'm but glad. certainly
3: Amazon. Bunch okay. Boss,
2: All right. So, if you're anxious and you want to get it, and you're a prime customer, you can go on tonight and probably have it by Friday. It's good weekend reading. Um, I read it. I recommend it. Um, and then Alice publishes a newsletter. A newsletter called the Firing Line. F E I R I N G. And it is probably the foremost premier natural organic biodynamic wine newsletter as far as information, opinion, news, Mm. all of that stuff. And Alice, how do we get that?
3: Uh, go on to that Alice F E I R I N G dot com slash newsletter. Okay. And sign up. It's sixty eight bucks and in a few weeks. Sixty eight bucks
2: a year. A year and a few. It's nothing, Alice. I know. Right.
3: And a few weeks is going to go into a full-fledged website, so you get access to all the four-year of okay. database.
2: So the people that are subscribers will morph into the website? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. And new people will see kind mm-hmm. of a new presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to sign up Great. this week. Um and Pascaline Alice on social media do we want people to follow you anywhere Of course
3: follow me everywhere Where? So Alice firing on Twitter Okay Alice dot firing on Instagram Okay and then it's you know the regular Facebook right. thing
2: And Pascaline is a partner and heads up the liquid program at Rouge Tomat in Chelsea um, stop by there anytime for amazing food an amazing wine list amazing service um, it's a very well thought out place it's probably one of the healthiest places you'll get drunk at <laughs> you know um, so Pascaline where where can we follow you we could follow at Rouge tamont New York City right is that the
4: uh, you can follow me at um, Pascaline Lepeltier on Instagram.
2: L-E-P-E-L-T-I-E-R. P-I-E-R. Yeah. Lepeltier.
4: And P. Lepeltier on Twitter.
2: P- right. P. Peltier on Twitter and Rouge Tamat. All right. So go out and buy the book. Go out and sign up for Alice's newsletter. Go out and eat and meet... Pascaline Rouge (laughs) Tamad, all right? All right, I want to thank our guests, Pascaline Lepeltier and Alice Firing, authors of the new book, The Dirty Guide to Wine. Um, I want to thank our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. But before I go away, and I just have a couple more things to say, and Alice, you need to dilute this down to a paragraph or less. The takeaway that you want the people takeaway from the book The Dirty Guy to Wine is what? The most, Best,
3: the most important thing is that place matters and just try to stop thinking about the grape and just go back to the source because it is where the most exciting stuff is happening.
2: And there's a lot of places and sources that people should open their eyes to, yes, right? Indeed. Okay. Um, don't forget we are in the midst of our summer fundraising drive, so go to the Heritage Radio Network.org backslash donate to donate. Maybe buy a cheaper bottle of wine this month and use the rest of the money to donate to Heritage. Come on, all right? Um, I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.